summer's arrived. How good is that? At, at last. I hope it lasts more than a week. Um, but Ruth and John, they're away. They send their love. They've gone out for a bit of a break with the family. Um, please be praying for them. They've been putting in lots of time and effort behind the scenes and they'll be shattered. And so they need that rest and they need that break. And I was reading yesterday that rest is holy. God created rest for us. He rested on the seventh day. So let's just pray that, you know, please be praying for them that they get good rest and good time with their family. So I've been away. It's great to be back. Um, and I've been praying lots this week about what to share. And uh, I'm going to start with this verse uh, from Mark 4, verse 35 to 41. And then we'll, then we'll pray after that. So on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, I had to look it up, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebu rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? So let's just pray. Father God, I just want to um, lift up this message to you, Lord, that it would honor you and point people to you and speak into people's hearts. But Lord God, that you would be um, glorified in it, Lord. So Father, I pray that you'd help me to deliver it in the way you want me to. Father, I just pray that um, it would help and bless people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I've been praying and seeking God about what to speak on today, I kept coming back to this, this one little phrase, peace, be still. And it was his response to the storm. And this year we've had so much said about our purpose and God's purpose for us as individuals. And it's been amazing how even people who've visited, spe you know, speakers who visited have spoken along the same sort of themes about our purpose and the plans for us. Even last week, um, I was in Spain, but I was able to get the link and watch with you, um, Dominic Yo, it's great, isn't it? Technology, I love it, that I was able to, to watch about running the race and, um, uh, you know, and God's plans for a hope and a future for us that he gave us. And we've been talking about that all year. So we really do need, like he said, to pray into that specific call as individuals and also as a church. Um, it's really exciting that it, it was so in line with what God's been saying to us. So I'm really encouraged that, you know, that's what he was saying. And he's come all the way from Singapore and spoke in the Wirral and then we got it and I listened to it in Spain. It was amazing. So I love it that we're in line with what God's saying. But this week, I've not been able to shake that sense of um, storms and seasons. And, um, and I love, 
how creation can not only point us to God, but be that sort of metaphor for what's going on with us spiritually. And it fascinates me, and I speak on it a lot. Um, I can't stop talking about it. But it's true, creation speaks, and God speaks through creation. And it's one of his clearest messages, because creation speaks to both the believer and the non-believer. And it has, it's become a bit of a theme with me, but the more I look into it, the more I see and the more it comes out in how I speak. So we can pray and tune into his still small voice, but equally, like I said before, he says so much through the beauty of nature, he gets our attention through it. He might use creation as a distraction to prize our attention off whatever stuff we're doing or whatever screen we're watching, or whatever work we're obsessing over. A glimpse of sunlight through the darkest clouds automatically makes you think about God, about the majesty of God. Is that just me? Is that, is that for everyone? Does everybody see that? You know, when the, it's moody and dark clouds and all these beams of light come down, I automatically think God and, you know, I don't think it's just me who thinks that. But as believers, we go through seasons and seasons of fruitfulness and seasons of dryness. And, you know, depending on what part of the world that you live in, you can either have four or two seasons. Here, we've got a really clear spring, summer, autumn, winter. And, but according to, like, my friends in who come from Africa and Zimbabwe um, and askabiologist.com that I was looking at. If you live somewhere tropical, you've got rainy season and dry season. Okay, you've got two seasons. When it's dry, it's really dusty and desert-like and the ground is hard. Um, but when the rain arrives in these places and it's, it's a welcome rain, it really arrives it bounces, it goes up as well as down, it's that hard, and you know, I love a good thunderstorm, my kids will tell you, I like it when it's a thunderstorm, I like it from the inside of the house, not the outside, I don't want to be in one, um, but in the tropics, a thunderstorm means that a dry, dusty old street can turn into a raging river in a matter of hours, um, and it can be life-giving, and it is life-giving, but it can also be destructive, okay? Um, but the life-giving, it, you know, it brings wildlife, it brings the seeds to life. You start seeing the green arrive again where it was just desert before and wilderness. And it's even different in like some polar regions, okay? Their two seasons are darkness and light. You know, you have in the winter it's dark and in the summer it's light and that's pretty much it. That's the change in their seasons. But it's the same with us. Um, and Psalm 74, verse 17 says, You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. In Israel, it's accepted that there is four seasons, but spring and autumn are a little bit shorter and they're more of a transition because it's much more of a subtropical climate. Um, so that's what we're going to focus on, the, the winter and the summer. So when I think of seasons, I think of growth. I think that seasons are there. It helps things to grow. 
And I'm loving the spring at the minute. We've got goldfinch, is it goldfinches, Sam, at the back? Goldfinches at the back of our house and blackbirds and sparrow. There's lots of birds. I mean, the terraced house, and it's like we've got all the birds in the area in our back garden because they're so loud. But it's lovely. And I hear them singing and twittering about all day long. It's lovely. We've had all the blossoms coming and going and everything is springing to life. I walked into my little shop um, a couple of weeks ago and, oh my gosh, I saw, well, I heard this buzzing first and then I looked and I saw the hugest wasp I have ever seen. It looked about two inches long. I must be exaggerating a little bit, but it was like huge and I thought it was a hornet to something. It was so big. And then I, I saw about four in as many days. And then I sort of I took a picture of it and then like swept it outside because it was on the floor. And, um, and it just looked massive. And I Googled it thinking it's got to be some sort of like Asian hornet or something. Um, but it wasn't. It was a wasp. It was a queen wasp. And apparently, beginning of April time, end of April, whatever, uh, the it's the season for the queen wasps to fly out and search for a place to build their new nest. Hopefully not in my little shop. Um, they are really scary, really huge. It does say on the nature website that they're 2.5 centimetres long, so they're not inches, but they look like inches to me. They were massive. It, was sounded, like, it sounded like a small drone in my room. It was massive. Um, yeah, I'm exaggerating, but it was big. So Xena, the warrior wasp queen, was off to find somewhere to build her colony and, colony and begin producing offspring. And that's part of that growth, isn't it? Um, in the same way, we grow. Um, but it's not during the summer that we grow the most. Uh, the summer is actually our rest time. Unless we are, you know, we've been put in the greenhouse of persecution but that's another message altogether so i won't go there summer is when we rest or do repairs it's the season that seems the driest uh dry um no where am i up to oh yeah um and then in the winter the winter seems uh the driest coldest and hardest the winter time is the time on the service when nothing seems to be happening uh stuff's going wrong it's not the driest is it not here but it's it's dry for us the winter time it feels like we're not hearing anything we're not learning anything nothing's going on we're waiting but it's in the holding on in the waiting in the trusting in god's goodness and faithfulness that we grow that's when our roots grow deep because we we're feeling like nothing's happening and we're looking for god our roots start to grow deep. And they're searching for like the water of life and we learn to seek and we learn to pray in that winter time. And even better, we learn to hear. And I've spoken on this in full, so I won't go into too much detail again, but when I was pregnant and I was being pressured by the doctors to have a termination, um, Although people around me were supportive, it didn't feel enough. It was, you know, don't get me wrong, I really appreciated people's support and love 
and, and everything. But you know what? I just wanted God to show up and appear in some way and speak to me and tell me everything was going to be all right. And I think we've all been through those times where everybody's voices are loud and it can be a bit confusing because they're all saying different things. And all you want is for Jesus to just break through and just go, I'm here, it's going to be fine. And that's all I wanted him to do. I just wanted him to tell me that I was doing it right, that I was okay by digging my heels in, that I wasn't living in a fantasy world, or I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't being ridiculous or in denial by holding on and keeping going in that pregnancy when all the experts were telling me, it's not going to work out, you need to just, you know, let it go. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't feel it was the right thing to do. All I knew to do was to trust him and hold on. And he didn't come marching in and saying, it's fine, you'll be fine. But I did have a sense of just trust, keep going. And I did what I believed was his will and I just held on to life. It felt like people were shouting very loudly all around me, saying different things. And some were really helpful and some were not. Um, but it felt like God was a bit quiet. And this was my raging storm. You know, I knew he was there, but he seemed a bit quiet in it. And that was when I, I sort of buried in like a little mole and learned to speak to him and get into the Bible and I learned to pray. And, you know, that built faith, the faith that I didn't have at the beginning. Um, but that's when, you know, that's when I learned to touch the hem of his garment. That's when I learned the word said that, you know what? He does miracles. He doesn't turn people away who asks for help. And, you know, Joel was healed at birth. He's here. And I learned so much through that time, and my roots grew deeper and deeper. Even though I was in a storm, I couldn't hear much from God. It was like winter time. And you might say, well, it all ended really well, so of course I'm going to look back and think in that way. But around five years before that, uh, before we even lived in this area, and I was during my second pregnancy... And I got tonsillitis in that pregnancy and was really sick and I felt ill and I had morning sickness, tonsillitis wasn't helpful and it was horrible and I felt very, very ill. And I'd been a Christian for about four years and it resulted in me needing to go to the hospital. So I said, you know, we phoned the doctor, I knew something wasn't quite right and, and, and I lost that baby at 10 weeks. And when I first realized something was wrong, they took me in, they gave me the scan, and they said that the baby had died when I'd first got tonsillitis. And um, I was alone in the hospital at the time, and it was quite devastating to hear that all by myself. My parents were away. Um, my husband was at home with my eldest, and... My parents were in, you know, America for about four months at that point. So I, I felt very, very much alone. And so while I was still there, I went back to my 
my bed and then I went and I miscarried but the first thing I did was I said to the, the nurse I need to get out of this ward and go to that little room they had smoking rooms then it was that long ago it was not very nice um, but I said I need to go and just have a, a moment by myself in this little room and she said all right and she waited outside and I was quite a new Christian, really. I'd, I'd been a Christian for about four years, but I'd been a bit intermittent in going into church, and I didn't really know that much. I'd not really been discipled or anything. Um, and I didn't know what else to do but just pray. And I said like a little funeral prayer for the baby. And I committed the baby to God. But at that moment, and it was then, not before, at that moment, God really showed up in that little room. And it stunk of tobacco and smoke. And there's like people milling about outside. But in that room, God showed up. And he was more close to me that, than I could actually ever explain in words. I couldn't even describe it. I felt really emotional and I felt really, really weak. I'd lost quite a lot of blood and ended up collapsing but I felt really really weak but God as I prayed showed up and um, it felt like two hands were placed under my shoulders like you know under my arms and it felt like you know like the old-fashioned crutches that went right up there it was like that and I could sort of rest on that and it, it felt like I was being physically held up, even though I did, you know, collapse and I was weak and what have you, but emotionally I felt held up. And that feeling of being physically held up lasted around two weeks. It didn't just, like, go when the moment had passed. It felt so there for two weeks. And, as, and it just got less and less as I got emotionally stronger and stronger. And I felt like I could sort of stand up on my own two feet again. But it was, it was such a strange feeling and it was so God that I couldn't describe it any other way. Because I just knew his presence with me. Um, you know, my husband wasn't a Christian. Nobody was around me who were, was a Christian at the time. But God was there with me. It was really real, you know, and it's, it, that's the only way I can describe it as those two crutches. Um, and I had prayed for the baby to survive. I knew I was losing the baby and I prayed for the baby to survive. And, you know, it wasn't to be. But you know what? I knew God is still good. He's never stopped being good. And the Bible says in Isaiah 57 verse 1, the righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. And that is a, a verse that I think of when I hear of good people passing away when it feels like they're too young or, you know, it, it's not their time or whatever. And I don't know what that baby was being saved from, if anything, or whether it was anything else, but I did not blame God at all for the loss. But I do know that God's kindness 
was and is very, very real. And it's real to me then and it's real to me, you know, now. And I didn't hear a voice and I didn't have any great word of revelation. It didn't lead me to anything specific in the Bible. I just knew he was holding me up and he was loving me better. Psalm 34, verse 17 to 20 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And please, can you just keep that verse up? Is it there? Have you got that verse? Um, we are righteous. The Bible says that we're righteous. Don't think of yourself as anything else. If, you're, if you've given your life to God, we are clothed in his righteousness now. And we, you know, although we might sometimes sin, we're not sinners. You know, the Bible's clear we're saved. We're no longer sinners. But that last line, in all that, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. It's Jesus. It's about Jesus on the cross. That verse says that Jesus is right here with us when we're going through stuff, when we're going through our storms. God hears when we cry out for help. And his promise is that he delivers us out of them all through the power of his finished work on the cross. Remember, he, he cried out, it is finished. He cried out, it is finished. And then died before, just before he came to break his bones. And they were going to break his bones to hasten his death, but he gave up his life. And no one took it. And he did that to deliver each one of us from troubles, from brokenheartedness, from affliction, from feeling crushed. Nahum 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Sometimes in the winter we get these storms. They suddenly whip up and knock us sideways. Storms turn everything upside down. We have to batten down the hatches. And just like in a house, in a storm, we find out where our weak spots are. In this country, the worst types of storms are hurricanes. We get the odd tornado down south somewhere. I've not seen any around here, but yeah, there are some. But the most common severe storms are hurricanes. And that's when you regret not having that tile fixed or securing that fence. That's when you find your garden furniture three doors down. Or for me, that's when you get a leaky roof, but not anymore because Robin came and sorted it out. Thank you. And, um, you know, because you might have, like I did, paint over the cracks with a bit of rubber paint and think that'll be all right for a bit. But you know what? It's not. That's when we find out where our weak spots are, when the storms come. It's the same with us. The places where we're not so strong. Um, so I'm going to go back to that verse in Mark 4. And I'm going to unpack it a little, the one that we started off with. So verse 
35 says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Before this, Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of heaven through parables to lots of people. He'd only just um, selected the disciples, the twelve, and um, he'd, been, he'd, he'd also been taking them aside and teaching them separately. So, you know, they'd watched him as he'd healed loads of people. People just kept coming. They kept coming so much that he had to get away from them and get into a boat and teach from the boat. And I always thought, oh, he's taught from the boat because of the acoustics, you know, the water's going to carry his voice. If there's thousands of people, it said a multitude of people, um, that'll be the acoustics. But no, the Bible's very clear that there were that many bringing people to him and coming to him that he had to actually step back and get on the boat and teach from there. So after this time of teaching and healing, he said to them, let us cross to the other side. And, you know, it was night time. And I don't know about you, but unless you're like a night fisherman of some kind or out on the open sea on a very long journey, you don't really choose to jump in a boat and go on a boat trip in the middle of the night when there's no sort of light at all. It's a bit unusual. They wouldn't have had that much light. I might be wrong, I don't know. But I do know that, you know, my dad once, um, before he was a Christian, and I was about 12, and we were in Torquay and he was, he was working, suddenly had a bright idea of saying, let's go to Jersey. He had a boat. Let's go to Jersey. And in the middle of the night, after he, he'd finished work, we were in this boat on our way to Jersey, and we hit some sort of gale, and we were, like, jumping like this, going up and going bang like that. It was really scary. And my mum's shouting, slow down, like it was going to do anything. But it was, it wasn't, it's not a normal, natural thing to do. And, you know, we did nearly crash into a tanker. <laughs> but um, we didn't, praise God. Um, the, in the open sea, the waves are huge. And you don't realise how out there you are and you know it's really scary it's not something I would have suggested to anybody and, and it w it's not something I would think could be a normal suggestion but many of the disciples were fishermen so they'll have known what they were doing and they weren't phased by this in fact it says and nobody said why either no one said to them where we're we going you know he just said we're going to cross to the other side and they did um so and it also says that other people joined in their little boats, which was really interesting. After all the miracles, they must have been so curious and excited and just wanted to be where Jesus was to see what he was going to do next. So that's, that, that shows the power and, you know, that he had and the authority. And verse 36 says, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you think that Jesus didn't know what was coming? The, you know, the only thing the Bible says that Jesus was ever surprised about or marveled at 
was faith, the faith of a person and the unbelief of a person. That's the only thing that Jesus marveled at or was surprised about when people had faith or whether they didn't have faith. Nothing else. So Jesus didn't need to be awake because he knew that he'd said we're going to the other side and nothing could stop him. And nothing, no storm would be enough to stop him, stop them. But the disciples, they were scared. They were afraid. Even the fishermen disciples. So it must have been a bit of a bad storm for the fishermen to go, do you not care that we're perishing? And, you know, what did they expect him to do? Because, you know, it's clear further down that they didn't expect him to actually stop the storm. You know, what did they expect for him to do? That's what I wonder. Maybe they were after some sort of wisdom about how to navigate the way out of the storm. Maybe, you know, they were waiting for him to call down some angels to come and just lift them out of the storm. But all they knew that he was the answer to that storm. Okay. You know, maybe they wanted him to say, turn around. But the, the verse, I can't see that, 39, 38. I need my glasses. Then he arose and rebuked the wind. And literally, in the concordance, in, you know, and I looked it up, the word rebuked means to forbid. He forbid the wind to, to blow. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this is how I can say that they weren't yet that sure of his power. They weren't that certain of how much power he had by that last verse. It's clear they didn't realize he could command the wind and the sea with his words. He rebuked the wind and he spoke to the sea. And there was a great calm. I really felt when I was looking at that, that this is a word for us, for church today. Peace, be still. It might be for someone in particular. It might be for all of us. But I've not been able to get it out of my head all week. Peace, be still. Jesus says, peace, be still to your storm. Whatever it is that's whipped up and worried you and knocked you a little bit off course or maybe tossing you about to and fro, peace, be still. He knew Jesus at the time in the boat. He knew what was to come as it was prophesied in uh, Psalm 107, verse 29. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. That was written hundreds and hundreds of years before. If the wind and the sea obeyed his words, there's nothing that's impossible. He crossed that sea at night with others following. He knew he'd sail straight into a storm. He's Jesus. He knew exactly what was coming. But he was determined, and he crossed over that night. And you know what? He went just for one person. He crossed that sea in a storm in the middle of the night, stilled the winds and the waves for one person. A single man, one man. He went across because there's a man on the other side in Decapolis, 
who'd been demon-possessed for years. And he was a well-known man. He was well-known, like, lunatic. That's what they called them then. And the, the people in the town had took him out. They chained him up. He was so strong he was able to break the chains. And he cried out and he cut himself and he hid in caves and he hid in tombs. And he cried out. And Jesus went for him, the outcast, that one man. And he was uncontrollable. And, and you know, they, no matter how much they bound him up, they couldn't keep him in the chains. He hid in those caves and tombs. And Mark 5, verse 4 to 5 says, he was crying out and cutting himself. But from the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said, enough is enough. And he was on his way. And he's saying, I'm coming to set you free. The guy didn't know it. Nobody else knew it. But Jesus was determined to get to him. I'm coming to set you free. He wasn't allowing that one moment more. And when he cast out the demons into the pigs, if you know the story, he cast out the demons into the pigs and the man was in his right mind. That man begged Jesus to go back with him because Jesus was getting back into the boat. He's saying, right, I've done what I've come here to do. I came for you and you, on just you. And I'm going back now because he said, we're going back. And the man came to him and said, I want to come with you. I don't want to stay here. They've chucked me out. I'm on my own. He'd been running around naked and chains and screaming and all that kind of stuff. He was a scary man to other people. They chucked him out. But he was clothed and in his right mind and begged Jesus to go back with him. And Jesus told him no. He said, go back and show them, tell them what, what's happened to you. Let them see that you've been delivered. Jesus had a plan for the man but then the plan extended to the town because that, what a testimony. So he spoke to him and he sent him back on his mission. That was the purpose for that man's life. And he went right back to the other side of the, the Lake Galilee again. And I love how Jesus just dropped everything. There was multitudes of people coming to him. He'd been teaching them. He'd been, you know, he wanted probably needed a bit of a rest, but he was like, no, there's someone over there and he needs me more than all you right now. I'm going to this guy. And he just went at night and he could have done it without the journey. He could have, he could have just prayed where he was and delivered that man, but he didn't. Can you imagine the impact on the people in the boat that was with him, the disciples and all those other people in the little boats that went alongside him could you imagine the impact that would have had on him just going off for that one person? You know, the man that roamed the tombs naked and crying out, a man no one wanted to go near. Imagine that impact of Jesus just going over there for him. And that demonstrates the heart of Jesus. Nahum 1 verse 3 says, The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. He never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. Ecclesiastes, verse 3, uh, 
uh, sorry, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. It's clear from all these verses that our lives have seasons. We couldn't cope if it was a relentless wilderness or a season of summer and ease or whatever. We'd soon drift away from God if that's what it was like. But sometimes in the dry season, it's difficult because we can, be get, we can get stuck in a rut and God might seem to be nowhere to be found. We can get a little bit half-hearted about our faith. A dry season can come after a stormy time. And if that's you, you're not alone. Everybody goes through those times. We've all gone through them. Just trust that God is good and keep reading the Bible and going to church and worship. It doesn't last. We go through it and we can ask in prayer to help him to help us get our way back, to find your way back. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I wonder how many people have given up just before the breakthrough. And that's really sad. We've got to keep pressing on. And it's always, always feels like it's the darkest before the light. You know, it always feels like time to give up just before the breakthrough. Just keep going. Don't give up. In that wilderness season, we're actually in that place of waiting. Hold on. He prunes and chisels us in those times. Look at Joseph. We've heard so much about him recently. Look at Moses. Daniel waited, David waited, each one stayed faithful, even though they didn't understand, they didn't understand it. He knew that God had a plan and a purpose, but getting there sometimes is the hardest bit. Hannah went to the temple every year and prayed for a child. She was barren and she felt inferior in her own household. She went and prayed this one year and in desperation promised her son would be de dedicated to God. The priest thought she was drunk because she was just praying and no words were coming out of her mouth, but he could see her mouth moving and he, he said, go home, you're you drunk coming in here. And you know what? She, then she just explained, she went, no, sir, I, I'm desperate. And he joined in and he prayed with her. And the next time she came, a year later, because he used to go up to the temple every year for the festival, she had Samuel, her baby boy. And Samuel would become one of the greatest prophets Israel had ever seen. He was the first judge, you know, one of the first judges of Israel. And um, he anointed both King Saul and King David. Uh, actually, no, he was the last judge. Um, Hannah didn't give up. So keep the faith. Don't doubt God's plans and goodness and wait with expectancy. 
you know, David cried out to God in Psalm 5, verse 3, each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. God is listening and knows exactly where you are. Hang in there. God has not forgotten. He's not forgotten you. And Daniel 2, verse 21 says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Acts 1 verse 7 says, He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's God's business. We just have to keep going and keep holding on. God is good. He's for us. He's not against us. So let's just pray and thank him. Father God, I just thank you for, for today. Thank you for your word. And I pray that what, what's come from you would, you know, would take root. And what's not from you would just fall away. And Lord, I just pray that um, if there's anyone here that's struggling with, with the season that they're in or a storm, that Father God, you would just um, help them to hold on. Help them to get through it. Hold on to each one of us, Lord. Help us to know that, you know, it doesn't last forever. So, God, I pray that you give wisdom, that you bring healing, and that, Lord God, you just give us favor wherever we go this week. In Jesus' name.